It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by CBDMD. Getting a good night's sleep can be much easier said than done, but don't worry because our good friends at CBDMD have exactly what you need to get you the sleep that you deserve. CBDPM blends melatonin and other sleep-promoting ingredients with 500 milligrams of high-quality CBD to create a powerful and effective sleep aid. And to make it even easier to get the year started off right, they're offering all of our listeners 25% off your next order when you use the promo code NBA at checkout. Once again, that's CBD. CBDMD.com, promo code NBA for 25% off your purchase of superior CBD products from CBDMD. Oh, like, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So, like, I don't shoot kind of this. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 887 of Locked On Raptors for, you're probably hearing this, Wednesday, February the 17th. We are recording Tuesday, February the 16th after the Raptors' big-ass win over the Milwaukee Bucks. We are going to talk all about that today. Uh, just a reminder, though, you can always uh, find me. Uh, I'm your host, well, Sean Woodley, of course, of RaptorsHQ.com. You can subscribe to, rate, review the podcast, all that good stuff wherever you get your podcasts. Follow the show on Twitter at Lockdown Raptors. Support all the other Lockdown stuff we got going on from the uh, Lockdown Today show with Peter Bukowski every single day, the rundown of all the stuff you need to know in the world of sports. We've got our Lockdown Bets show. We've got Lockdown Fantasy Baseball. If you're getting ready for your baseball season and want to tune up and gear up and get ready to make your drafts and all that stuff. There's a lot of stuff on the network is the point. So go and subscribe, support, all that good stuff. Uh, All right. I'm a little discombobulated off the top because the Raptors just pulled out a big signature win, which there haven't been many of those this season. And the one they really had was kind of spoiled by the Kevin Durant situation in Brooklyn a couple weeks back. So now we get to talk about a real earnest kick-ass win for your Toronto Raptors, a 124-113 win over the Milwaukee Bucks in the first of two games in Milwaukee this week. And joining me to dive into our big takeaways to talk about OG and small ball and Kyle Lowry's unfortunate departure and a whole bunch of other stuff from this game is a guy who I realized I haven't had on the show for a very long time. And that's stupid. And it's bad because he's great. And, you know, yesterday's show we had Kane Pittman on to talk about the embarrassment that is Aaron Baines and the Aussie connection there. It makes only sense to have today the most Italian man I know to talk about the death and departure of Dante DiVincenzo from our lives after a terrible game from him. Uh, It's our pal, Joseph Asharo of The Score, of Pound the Rock. That was a long, meandering intro, but I'm out of sorts, man. It's weird seeing the Raptors play a game that they were the better team in from basically start to finish. Joe, what's going on, buddy? 
Not much, man. That was it was a long intro, but that was a legendary. Intro. And, uh, <laughs> I'm not even mad. I'm not even mad at the uh, anti Pison slander. Hey, man, um, you yeah. you are. I'm not saying that Dante Divincenzo is like a bad Pison or anything like that. He just had a bad game, and yeah. I was looking yeah. for synergy because yesterday our yeah. pal Kane was getting very sad about his countryman Aaron Baines. It's, it's just it's you know I'm a professional professional podcaster here, Joe. I need to make this no. I like it. I mean, yeah. I think I think you're strategically <laughs> booking, and uh, I dig it. I dig Excellent. it. Uh, I'm not sure who we'll have on the next show. Uh, someone from Greece, maybe. I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> uh, let's uh, dive into this one, man. A really, really fun game. Uh, of course, Kyle Lowry leaving in the third quarter is a bit of a damper. I'm choosing to feel optimistic because he at least came back out and tried to give it a go in the third quarter. So maybe it's not a debilitating ankle injury. It's probably uh, irresponsible to say that, but I'm choosing the side of optimism. Either way... We'll talk about Larry a little bit later, but there are lots to get into from the players who actually finished this game, the players who started this game. Uh, Joey Cash, what was your biggest takeaway from the Raptors' probably best win of the season so far over the Bucks on Tuesday night? My biggest, I mean, them going small, um, finally starting their best five, uh, and, and interestingly enough, you know, finally doing it against a very big team in Milwaukee, right? The honest mm-hmm. Lopez back on there. And then even just, and I had tweeted this too, like I thought it was really interesting that in that first quarter, so they start small against that really big starting lineup against Milwaukee. But then um, with both Giannis and Lopez off, when the Bucks were a little smaller, they played the Boucher-Baines duo combination together for maybe the first time this year, definitely the first time in a while. Um, so I thought that was interesting and, uh, yeah, just in general, uh, them going small OG coming back, obviously, I'm sure we'll talk about that. Um, and, and Fred's performance, you know, I know a lot of people were tweeting about it and uh, positive residual tweeted, uh, some good stats too, after the game, just about what Fred did against the bucks, but his ability to hit a pull-up shot, to hit from the mid-range, to really punish the the Bucs' defensive scheme from that mid-range area, I think was really the story of this game and how the Raptors won this game. Uh, So, so yeah, Fred Fred becoming the kind of player he is now is obviously really important for the Raptors in general going forward, but especially important against Milwaukee. And, And I think that's really interesting because obviously we know he's already completely sunned them you know, on the biggest stage of them all a couple of years ago with his shooting, but now he's doing it in a different way. It's not just as his long range shooting. It's, it's his ability to, you know, pull up and create off the dribble in the mid range area. I just think it's a kind of interesting development. Yeah, I'm with you. We'll get to the lineup uh, machinations and the small ball and all that stuff, I think in probably segment two, but I do think Fred Van Vliet is the takeaway from this game. I, I like, I don't know if I've ever seen Fred play a game where his finger was so like acutely on the pulse of the game and really was just sort of the driver of everything that was going on kind of going both ways it just it was a masterful all-encompassing performance the kind of thing you come to expect from Kyle Lowry and I don't know it was kind of like a nice little uh warm hug to realize yes Kyle's out yes you kind of are looking at the mortality of the Kyle Lowry in Toronto area era and you're not not sure when that's going to come to an end but this kind of game from Van Vliet really kind of hammers home that the Raptors are in pretty good hands going forward. They've essentially cloned Kyle Lowry for the next era. And, you know, am I expecting Fred Van Vliet to be a Hall of Famer? Probably not. But this is uh, a really damn good start. <laughs> and he just, the way he, like you said, he kind of found that soft spot 
in the in the mid range where you know we saw a lot of the time last year and you know kind of anytime they haven't had Kawhi Leonard on the team against this Bucks defense you know that mid range is a place they just haven't been able to exploit and it wasn't just Fred I mean Siakam I think it hit a couple maybe two or three mid rangers in this one very confidently and smoothly and I think it kind of speaks to the overall improvement of the Raptors offense this year that that's a part of the floor that more guys are adept at taking advantage of and especially when the Bucks are just going to give you those mid-range shots all day long and you're terrified of driving in on Giannis and Lopez it just it really was a wonderful game where Fred made every right decision he knew exactly you know the, the the right beats on every single possession his defense obviously continues to be absurd and, and that's just kind of a, a, a standard thing at, at this point with him but yeah man th- this was you know we can continue the all-star conversation if you want about the Raptors and who deserves it most I think this kind of cements that Fred's probably the front runner for all-star consideration among the Raptors and right when they needed it most too and you know look I had my doubts like when the Bucks, I think it was 112-103 in the fourth. Uh, the Bucks go on like a 6-0 run, and it's like, uh-oh, maybe the offense is going to dry up here. And then Fred instantly hits a transition three, um, kind of unforgivably lost in transition by the Bucks defense. But, yeah, I guess you'll take it. Uh, and I just, you know, it was the kind of game that in the past Kyle Lowry would kind of put the team on his shoulders and, and win a game like that. It, just, it was a very Lowry-ass performance is what I'm trying to say here. I, I was just blown away um, by what Fred did. And the nice thing is that it wasn't him just kind of carrying the day either. I want to ask you about Pascal Siakam, Joe, because, you know, he was 8 of 23, pretty rough shooting performance all told, tough stuff around the rim a lot of the time. You know, Giannis got in his business. He still has a lot of trouble driving against Giannis and all that. Missed some threes as well uh, after hitting a couple early on. But I I said this when he was at 7 of 21. He finishes 8 of 23 that he as seven of 21 games go he was having a pretty good one what did you think of Siakam's performance overall 23 13 and 6 just two turnovers a plus 14 um I thought he was again the shooting line notwithstanding I thought he was pretty great yeah you could not script or envision a better 8 of 23 performance (laughs) from an NBA star it it was it feels weird saying he had a, a really good two-way game because, you know, we keep mentioning how poor he shot the ball, but he really did. Like he, I thought he found a nice balance between, you know, occasionally maybe forcing uh, drives or shots he shouldn't have, but also uh, being a little more patient. He found cutters and shooters. A lot of times there was, a you know, a couple of times where I thought he did a good job attacking Lopez and, and taking advantage of the quickness advantage. But then there were other times where he, he didn't seem to have the advantage on Lopez. And instead of forcing something up that was going to get blocked or was going to get altered, he, he was more patient and waited for someone to get open and move the ball. So it kind of looked like he was figuring things out in real time, which I always enjoy, you know, watching developing players do. And, and then at the end, it was really nice to see him have a burst left on offense. You know, you Mm. saw, uh, I think he, he spun on Lopez once to finish a layup. And then the very next possession or two possessions later, he came in, uh, he got by Giannis and went to throw down a dunk and got fouled in the process, made a free throw. So it was nice to see both how he managed the game offensively, despite the shooting woes and also the burst he had on the offensive end to close it. Because, you know, we've seen, not just with the missed potential game winners, but just in general, we've seen times this season where he looks a little gassed on the offensive end Mm -hmm. down the stretch, you know, whether it's leaving a layup a little short or, you know, his legs not really looking into his jumper. So it was nice to see that. And I thought he had quietly a really, really strong defensive game. 
you know, he didn't necessarily have the primary job of Giannis. OG had that a lot. They were sending doubles a lot. They were building the wall a lot of times. But I thought Pascal did a good job getting involved there and and just generally staying solid on the defensive end. So I thought, you know, it was the, the numbers don't bear it out, but I thought it was one of his best performances of the season on both ends. Yeah, that sort of patience and recognition, I think I've been talking about it all season long. It was a thing that I've been really impressed with. And, you know, I think in years past, it's sort of been like a, I am the hammer and everything is a nail kind of situation with him where it's <laughs> yeah. like, I'm going to post up this guy, even though I know I can't post him up because that's all I really got. And he just, he kind of is finding the balance a little bit better. He's realizing where his outlets are, I think, a lot quicker. I mean, he had the one play, I think, in the... I want to say the third quarter maybe where he was driving on Tory Craig, a helper comes along baseline and then he's like, Oh, there's Aaron Baines just like coming down the lane. I'm just going to hit him for a very easy floater. You know, when you can put Aaron Baines in a position where he hits a shot with ease, you've clearly made a pretty good read in a pass. Uh I, I will say though, is there, is there a such thing? I know he did make a, a lot of those easy ones tonight, but I'm at the point where I don't know if, if an easy shot exists for Aaron Baines. No, it's all an uphill battle. That's for damn sure. But um, just one last note on Siakam. I, I, the play that you referenced just before he went in for the dunk, where he sort of used his, I think, speed advantage against Lopez. And there was another example of the recognition in a different way. There wasn't a pass that came out of it, but you know, it seemed like he wanted to kind of go right around Lopez. Then he realized Giannis was hanging out right there, and he was willing to come over and help. And Siakam, like, very quickly, head on a swivel. Okay, I'm going to swerve left and finish left around Lopez. Like, that. that's the kind of stuff, too, that it's it just the advancement of his sort of counters and his realizing of, okay, where's the defense coming from? Yeah, there were a couple examples where, okay, I'm going to try to score over Giannis and it's going to go horribly. And <laughs> maybe I'm kind of telegraphing this a little bit too much, but I thought there were way more instances in this one of him um, sort of realizing what the Bucks were trying to do to him and then reacting accordingly. So shout out to Pascal Siakam, hidden Fred VanVleet, clearly the two biggest reasons for the Raptors winning this game to me. Uh, we're going to dive into a lot more. I want to talk about the defense uh, and sort of how they held up and how they kind of looked like the Raptors for the first time in a long time. That was cool to see. And we'll also dive, of course, into the rotation conversation and the small ball starting five. We'll get to that in one sec. But first, I want to tell everybody about our friends over at betonline.ag, the number one place for you to put your money down. If you are betting on sports, they have a lot of stuff for you to bet on, not just the regulars like college basketball, the NBA, the NHL, which are in full swing, but you can bet on award shows, TV shows, reality TV. You can even bet on like Greek basketball. It's It goes that deep, real-time updated odds and props and almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it is free to sign up just head over to betonline.ag use your mobile device or your desktop and sign up today and receive your 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit with the code locked on that means you put in that code locked on you're going to get 50 percent more than what you put in so you put in 100 bucks you get 150 bucks to play with off the bat that is a great deal go to betonline.ag your online sportsbook experts this is jake from locked on Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. 
Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Berea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Berea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Berea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, Joey Cass, just before we dive into some talk about the... Uh, I want to hit defense first, then we'll get to rotations. But um, uh, just a reminder, uh, Thursday's podcast, that's what day we're on next. I don't know who the hell knows anymore. But uh, Andrew Damlin, one of our pals who covers Raptors 905 for Raptors Republic, is going to pop on. We're going to get a little lowdown, an update on what's going on with Raptors 905. Malachi Flynn went off today, so we'll have some fun talking about that. That's coming up on Thursday. All right, Joey Cash, uh, let's dive in to the defense. Uh, the Raptors looked like themselves in a lot of ways today. I thought in particular the way they used their sort of star killer defense attack against Chris Middleton, who has no idea how to pass out of a double, apparently. Uh, I thought that was super effective. They scrambled, they recovered, their rotations were as crisp as I've seen them. Am I crazy, or did you notice this as well? What did you think of the Raptors' defense in this one after a few performances where they were absolutely ghastly? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I don't think you're crazy. I think the rotations were noticeably sharper. And I think, look, so much of, you know, if you think even back to last year and the defensive success they were able to carry over even post Kawhi Leonard, everyone always talked about how many threes they gave up in terms of attempts, but they were also really good at guarding the perimeter from a percentage standpoint. And that wasn't all luck. It's because they, it, last year's Raptors team had a very rare ability to both protect the rim and protect the three-point line because of the length and athleticism of guys like Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi, right? Like how many times last year did it seem like they were giving up a pretty clean look for three, but really Pascal was, you know, covering half the court, jumping and, and taking away that good look. Like they just, they were able to do both. And it's hard to do that. I realize that, but last year's team was able to do it. And this year's team, while they don't have maybe the, you know, basketball genius of a Marcus Saul anchoring things back there. You'd think, you know, you add Chris Boucher's length and uh, yes, he jumps too much sometimes and, you know, overcommits when he shouldn't. But in general, when you think of having OG Pascal and Boucher out there at times, or even just two of the three, two of those three guys, you'd think like they should still be able to do a lot of what they did last year. And it mm -hmm. didn't really make sense. It hasn't made sense that they haven't been doing it as well. And I thought tonight was, maybe the first time, definitely one of the only times this season where they looked like last year's Raptors from the perspective of taking care of the, you know, fundamentals of the game plan and the initial game plan, which obviously is taking stuff away from Giannis, building the wall, sending timely doubles, trying to limit his impact, putting him on the line if need be, rather than giving him easy stuff. They were able to do that while also still contesting a lot of the shots they were giving up because they were doubling Giannis, you know, he was finding the shooters around him and, you know, Connaughton made them pay early and throughout the game, the Bucks made threes. But this was really the first game I can think of this season where the Raptors between Siakam and Boucher and OG did a really good job of closing down that space on three point shooters while also taking care of the initial game plan. And yeah, it, it was encouraging to see, you know, we get to see it like continue now and hopefully they can build on this, but if you're looking for encouraging signs on the defensive ends, that on the defensive end, that's what I would point to. The fact that they 
they finally did what we know they should be able to do on paper. Yeah, it was also kind of nice that they got the in-game regression to the mean that they did not get against Boston last week, where right. Ojeley and Pritchard were just bombing everything, and they finally kind of saw in the second half of this one, Connaughton cools down a little bit, DiVincenzo goes 1 of 8, uh, and that certainly helped matters for sure. I, I still can't get over the Chris Middleton 0 assist stat along with 5 turnovers. They were in his shit all night long, and that's like when the Raptors are at their best. You know, Giannis... It's weird. Giannis had 34, 10, and 8, and 5 steals uh, on 11 of 20. He was 2 of 4 from 3, even 10 of 14 from the line. And yet, I still, and I guess it speaks to how freaking amazing he is, but I still thought he looked frustrated and annoyed, which is kind of all you can hope for with Giannis. And yeah, the Raptors probably fouled him too much. They got into some early foul trouble, and they thankfully navigated it and were able to survive it, but... Uh, I just, you know, that's the kind of crispness we haven't really seen, and I'm not entirely surprised that the crispness came about when they uh, decided to go small and and sort of forego the Aaron Baines minutes, uh, forego the Terrence Davis minutes in the second half. We'll get to that, too. Um, You know, they just played the dudes who can kind of play the system. You know, Baines, even in his minutes, like, I don't think he was disastrous the way he was against the Wolves, where he was, like, doing jumping jacks in the perimeter, hoping not to get bombed threes on his head by Ricky Rubio. Uh, And so that was nice, too. But, you know, when you have OG back, it just, it gives one extra body who can be part of that personnel that can fly around. And, And I really do think, you know, they have, I think, six guys who can capably do the things the Raptors preferably want their defenders to do. I think Boucher has the physique to do it, but he doesn't really have, like, I think the the quick smarts and sort of understanding of the next step on defense and where he's stepping in to fill in for a guy who's vacated a spot as a lot of these other guys. I think Benbury fits into what they're doing really nicely, but, you know, it's every guy you lose from that mix who knows exactly what's happening and knows how to play that style, that very aggressive um, style of defense that puts a lot on everybody to do everything correctly. The, the more it's going to hurt whenever you lose those guys. So getting OG back, I'm not surprised it's helped. And having Benbury in the time that OG missed kind of become a staple of the rotation, I think it's going to help matters going forward as well. On that note, Joey Cash, uh, I want to dive into the small ball lineup and how it kind of changes the complexion of the rotation. And honestly, outside of some minutes for a couple of backbench dudes who probably shouldn't be playing, Kind of think the Raptors found the rotation tonight. We'll get to that coming up in just a second. But first, I want to tell people about our friends over at Built Bar who are making the best protein bar in the world. I can't tell you enough how good these things are. It makes you feel like you're cheating. It makes you feel like you're eating uh, really, really unhealthy candy. But in fact, they're tasty, healthy, good-for-you protein bars. There's 18 amazing flavors, including some limited edition flavors that come out every so often, including the one I have in my fridge right now, which is Coconut Brownie Chunk. It is bonkers good and feels like I'm cheating every time i eat it it's wonderful the bars are covered in 100 chocolate they're soft and easy to chew and they're great for the health conscious person you can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat bars are low calorie low sugar high protein high fiber and great for keto diets as well for example they're cookies and cream flavor 17 grams of protein just 130 calories four grams of sugar and four grams of net carbs and it helps you get through your day with a little boost of energy and protein and all that good stuff go to builtbar.com and use the promo code locked on right now and get 20 percent off your next order that is the promo code locked on for 20% off at builtbar.com. This is Jake from Locked On. 
Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Barea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, Joe, let's wrap this thing up and dive into how the rotation shakes out now. Obviously, the caveat of Kyle Lowry sprained his ankle and this could throw all of the best laid plans out the window. Uh, that that kind of hangs over it all right here. Again, hoping for the best there. Um, we'll, we'll see, I'm sure. Uh, I would imagine by tomorrow we'll get some clarity on what's going on with him. Um, but with that said, assuming Lowry is not out for a very long time and he can come back and they have this set of players for the time being... Uh, first of all, did you agree with the decision to go small? Has this been something you've been wanting to see? And with the way the rotation kind of played out, what were some interesting notes to? You mentioned the Boucher-Baines front court. I have some thoughts on that. Um, you know, we, we got into the, the Terrence Davis, Matt Thomas part of the bench as well for times, and neither were terribly pretty. But uh, overall impressions of the way the Raptors rotation shook out with the small ball starting lineup. I liked it. I mean, I'm always a big proponent, you know, no matter what team is play your best five and your best combination as many minutes as possible, including to start games so that you're not digging yourself a hole that you don't need to dig. Now I realize that like, yes, starting as small as the Raptors are with their optimal five right now, it's not ideal in the big picture. It's not how any, you know, executive or coach draws it up, but you also have to just kind of play the cards you're dealt. And it's not like Baines is filling the needs that you would usually expect from a true center, right? Like it's it's one thing if he was really locking down the defensive glass and, you know, his screening was just completely opening things up on the offensive end. But his screening isn't as effective as it should be because teams are pretty much ignoring him on that end. And yeah. then on the defensive end, like he hasn't really done the job we expected of them against like the true behemoths, right? Mm -hmm. Hasn't really uh, provided much resistance against them. And on the defensive glass, this is a guy that traditionally has been a really good team rebounder. Like I even thought that was one area where they were going to get better this year um, with Baines in for Gasol and Ibaka, because mm -hmm. traditionally he's been a better defensive rebounder, especially as a team defensive rebounder. That hasn't really translated this year. So when you just like look at all those things together, they're not getting enough in, in, in the way of true center positives and contributions from Baines, where going small is really taking away from anything anyway. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if that's the case, then just start to start your best five together. You know, Boucher comes in as like a, a, your third big quote unquote, even though he's really the only big and even Boucher, like I, I made the joke in like the first week of the season that the Raptors best center isn't even a center. Cause I'm not even sure Chris Boucher is a center. And maybe that's why the, the minutes with him and Baines didn't go horribly tonight. Cause it was like a power forward and a center, but yeah, you start your best five together, 
Boucher can come in and do what he does off the bench. You know, Baines maybe becomes like a situational guy. He's had some decent stretches in the last two games Mm -hmm. where maybe you can find a role for him as like, I don't know, a five to 10 minute guy and hope that he can give you something in the matchups with the Embiid's, even though he hasn't shown he can do it yet. But yeah, a very long way of saying I am all for playing your best five together. And this team's best five is a small lineup they started with tonight and maybe once in a while, Boucher in for Norm. And until they address the fact that they don't have a real center on this roster or a real capable center on this mm-hmm. roster, then then that's what it is. Yeah, and I think you made the good point in that, you know, the reasons you start big is to get rebounds and be large. But like Aaron Baines doesn't really have that effect despite being as big as he is. You know, the screening is nice, sure, but like you said, it has diminishing returns. And also, when he's rolling after said screens, he's bricking stuff off the top of the backboard. Um, And with the rebounding, you know, I've always kind of found that the small lineup does a pretty good job of gang rebounding. I mean, Lowry is such a good rebounder for his position. I think Siakam's gotten a lot better. OG's gotten a lot better. Like, it's not... Like they're out there bleeding boards at some sort of unsustainable rate, especially when you consider that that lineup is incredible defensively. You know, their numbers, I think, both in the postseason and in the limited sample this year, which is like 29 minutes, so it's not that much time. But I think this it's something like an 82 or 83 defensive rating both this season and in the Celtics series last year. Like... If you're making everybody miss everything, you can afford to bleed a couple offensive rebounds here and there because most of the shots are missing, right? So I I think I'm with you. I I was calling for this uh, pretty recently as well. I believe your podcast co-host, Joey Joey Dubs, was uh, the one who kind of uh, originated the thought a couple weeks back on the podcast and really got me on board. And I am fully in the tank for the small ball lineup now, man, especially if you can sort of cobble together those in-between lineups. And I think the bench they went to in the first quarter, if I'm not mistaken, the Fred plus four bench guys, I, I don't like the four plus the four bench guys. That's, that's for sure. It doesn't go super well. And Terrence Davis being in that lineup is particularly grievous because he's terrible at basketball and shouldn't be playing for lots of other reasons, but his play is just outstandingly bad right now and he should not be on the floor. But I think if you had that lineup, which I believe was Fred, Davis, Bembry, Boucher, and Baines, if you swap Norm into that lineup, that's like a pretty damn good transitional little bench lineup that you can get a buy with. I think there's enough offense there. And to your point about Boucher not being a center, I will scream it to the heavens. He's not a freaking center. He's a four. Like, he's he's just not. He's not big enough. He gets bullied by dudes who are twice his size. And on defense... His best attribute is flying out to the corners and making shooters in the corner wet themselves because he's bearing (laughs) down on them. And he can actually do that when you have a center who's tasked with just hanging out at the rim and Boucher can get into what you like to do on defense, which is fly out to the corners like maniacs. And he does it better than maybe anybody on the team. He had five blocks in this game. I think two were on threes. He's really good at it, and I just think him and Baines next to each other, there's enough offense there. Both can stand outside the three-point arc if you need to. They don't need to clutter it. I think they were a little bit confused at times as to who was standing where in their minutes together today, but I think you can mine that partnership pretty well and have that be sort of the backbone with Fred Van Vliet of your second unit, and I think you can be totally fine. And if you get rid of those Terrence Davis minutes, I think you're you're kind of laughing, and... 
you know, overall, having those five guys healthy, again, we'll see what happens with Kyle, but there should never be an excuse to have fewer than two of them on the floor at one time, and hopefully Nick Nurse gets weaned off of that at some point here soon, too, because uh, those uh, those yeah. Fred plus four guys, not exactly the sexiest lineups. Uh, any sort of other thoughts on the machinations there? No, no, I, I agree with what you're saying. I mean, I think, um, you know, Boucher being at the four with a real center beside him, I think helps diminish the risks that come with his, you know, jumpiness, maybe lack of discipline when it comes to his, his jumping and his timing. You know, if he's got a center beside him, you're not paying as much for those things, right? It, it, the the re, the rewards stay where they are, but the risk is minimized, if that makes sense, um, from, from his style of defense. And, and yeah, I mean, look, if, if their bench becomes, you know, at least one of Kyle or Fred with, you know, maybe Norm in there for stretches with Bembry, with Yuda when he's healthy and, mm-hmm. and Baines in there for stretches, you know, when it makes sense, I really do think, yeah, now we're talking about a, a pretty okay, like a pretty solid bench. It's, it's, you can cobble good minutes together from your bench there. And they just, you know, hopefully Kyle can get back soon. They just got to get healthy and and mm-hmm. really settle into that rotation. And, you know, as we've been saying, start small or start your best five. Um, you know, don't have four reserves out there at once and don't have Terrence Davis out there at all. Keith Baines <laughs> is like a situational guy. Hopefully get Utah back healthy and playing the way he was. Bembry, I think, has been just really, really good. I, I It's no surprise that Stanley Johnson is now no longer getting minutes because – other than Johnson being able to be a specialist defensively against like the bigger wings, you know, mm-hmm. the LeBrons, the Kawhis, like when you need someone to just guard those guys, it w- w- give OG a break, you know, have his six fouls against those guys. Like Stanley Johnson is a really good guy to be able to bring in, you know, as your like 11th, 12th, 13th man as a specialist in those mm-hmm. situations. But other than those very specific instances, I don't think Bembry is enough of a drop off defensively to ever play Johnson ahead of him because Benbury just does a little bit of everything else better. You know, he's obviously a better playmaker. He can put the ball on the floor a little more. Neither of them is a great shooter, but Benbury just offers a little more. So I think, I think he has a rotation spot locked down barring injury. And yeah, I think, I think you can kind of see glimpses of a decent rotation coming together, but then it's frustrating when, yeah, you still see Terrence Davis playing X amount of minutes every night or, Mm -hmm. you know, too many minutes with him and norm together which i don't think they should do ever um, <laughs> just little things like that but I, I it seems like there might be light at the end of the tunnel of finding a solid rotation from this team yeah for sure i i think you know i i, like, I also get the sort of theory as to why davis plays it's because in theory he can dribble and like create for himself a little bit he's bad at it but <laughs> theoretically that's what he provides and I was thinking about this tonight, like as much as I would love to see them go and get a center to replace Baines or just add two Baines just to have more than one player who's a center on the team. I, I'm kind of also pretty into the idea of them maybe picking up a fourth guard somewhere. And maybe that becomes Malachi Flynn after he goes for right. 15 games of G League season and he comes back amazing. I don't know. But um, another guard who can handle the ball a little bit in there, just so there's not so much pressure put on Fred and yep. Kyle and Norm, I think would be kind of nice. But yeah, I- I'm as encouraged about a Nick Nurse rotation as I have been all season long after this one. And I just hope Kyle's healthy. By the way, before we wrap up, that first half from Kyle was bonkers. Uh, What a king. Just incredible. Wax poetic a little bit about Kyle Lowry, will you, before we wrap this thing up? I mean, what is left to say about this guy that hasn't been said? He just is a masterful 
basketball player in every facet. Like he, you know, you mentioned earlier the way it seemed like Fred always had his kind of finger on the pulse in this game. Like that's Kyle's Raptors career. You know, that's <laughs> his ability to read situations. You know, I've long said that for me, um, the absolute smartest pure basketball players in the league are LeBron, uh, Chris Paul, Kyle Lowry, and Draymond Green mm -hmm. with, you know, maybe Marcus Gasol and like a few others in there. But f those are my top four. And like Kyle's in there. He is a basketball genius on both ends. Um, it, the thing with like guys like that and Kyle especially is you have an advantage as soon as you step on the floor before the ball is even tipped because you have a guy on the court who is smart enough um, to recognize and exploit every semblance of an advantage on the court like you know what i mean you're, you're going to exploit the other team's weaknesses you're going to exploit any semblance of an advantage because kyle lowry will not allow you not to mm -hmm. when he's on the floor and that um <clears throat> it's hard to quantify that sometimes statistically but if you watch enough of kyle lowry or any of those guys i mentioned or, or those kind of basketball geniuses you see it in in the way games unfold and yeah when when he's on still at his age, and, and like you mentioned tonight in the first half, his his ability to put pressure on the defenses, but you know, hit that pull up three and at least be a threat to hit that pull up three defensively. Um, you know, you mentioned my pound the rock coach Joe Wolf on one of the things Wolf on um, likes to say, and he's absolutely right, and we joke about it all the time, is like Kyle Lowry is a great rim protector. And yeah. I know no one <laughs> thinks of guards that way, but he really is between his, you know, his timely charges, but just his positioning. Um, his his ability to guard up in the post, like when you put all those things together, he really is a great rim protector. And it's just floor general. Like what more can you say? Um, yeah. There's a reason why, you know, as much as I and uh, I'm sure you and Raptors fans in general don't ever want to hear it or talk about it. There's a reason why his name is going to continue to be in trade rumors this season, because if you're a contender and you're looking right now at the Raptors record, and thinking he even might be available. Like you absolutely have to be calling well, Kyle Lowry, like this guy can absolutely swing the season. Um, I made a whole video on the scores YouTube page a couple, like about a month ago about how like once Harden was off the board, the Sixers should absolutely be doing everything they can to get him mm -hmm. because he's the kind of guy that can put you over the top. So yeah, you asked me to wax poetic about Kyle Lowry. That's me waxing poetic about Kyle Lowry. I don't have to bleep out the part about the, the trade stuff because that's uh, we're not well, talking about that. But uh. I, I, I will say this, and it's something I've I've said for like the last couple of weeks now too. Look, I I completely understand why there is a segment of the Raptors fan base that didn't want them to make a win now trade. Okay, I get it. Like I realize um, different priorities, whatever. But what I've been saying the last couple of weeks is like if if you didn't want them to make a win now trade for whatever the reason might be, like it's then hard to now. Yes, from a like sentimental perspective and like the nostalgia, no one wants to see him go. But if you didn't want them to make a win now trade, you also kind of can't cry about the fact that he might get traded because like it's almost like what did you expect? You know, if they're not going to make that win now trade and you didn't want them to say sell the farm for a guy like Harden, okay, that's fair. But then you also have to realize real contenders are going to call about Kyle and it might mm. be in their best interest as much as we hate it to at least explore those talks, you know? Yeah, no, I feel you. Uh, the thing is uh, they should go make a win now trade. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, wait, uh, hey, listen, <laughs> you're, you're preaching to the choir there. I, They're I the number that, nine team in net rating right now. It's crazy. This, <laughs> I, I was saying all year, you know, like I, I was maybe higher on going for Harden than some others were fine, but just in general, I've been 
on the train all year that like they they owe it almost to Lowry. Like Lowry is still good enough that I think they owe it to him if they're going to keep him to make a win now trade. Like that's what I'm trying to say. You can't mm-hmm. kind of say, oh, like, well, don't make a win now trade and maybe don't sacrifice any of the future, but also try to keep Kyle Lowry. Like I, I think those things might be tied together, you know? And I think they yeah. owe it to him to make a, a run for it. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i with you. We will cover the trade stuff in depth over the next, uh, I don't know, interminable number of weeks until the deadline. I don't even know what the hell it is at this point. What is time? Uh, but <laughs> I know what is for damn sure. This was a great time, Joey Cash. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, man. It was lovely having you back. Yeah, was, uh, can, you can, didn't call anyone a clown, which uh, <laughs> well, you know what? disappointing. Can, <laughs> like, I was going to say, when you said it's been a great time, I was going to say, let me make your time better here. And and I'm glad you set me up because I can call that whole organization a clown show. But uh, the Milwaukee Bucks, since being 52 and eight, since going to 52 and eight last season in early March, mm-hmm. 25 and 26 over their last Ooh. 51 games between the regular season and playoff. Wow. The Milwaukee Bucks have a losing record over a 51 game sample since starting 52 and eight last year. So you said this has been a great time. Uh, thanks for having me on. It's been a blast. And I just wanted to leave you and all of your listeners who I know, just as you did a chef's kiss on the air, I know there are Raptors fans listening to this, hearing that stat. And just reacting like Antonio Banderas in that famous gif where he <laughs> sees what I can. I, I don't know what movie that's from. I can only imagine it's some sort of erotic porn scene and, <laughs> and then sits back and just sighs and takes it in. And yeah, so that's that's my parting gift to you is that stat. And uh, sorry, I didn't uh, call anyone a clown today, but I, I feel like that should make up for it. That's totally fine and cool, and uh, yeah, you, you've more than made up for the lack of a clown mention. Uh, I, it was pretty jarring watching this team without Drew Holiday, which obviously they're, they're better with Drew Holiday. He's right. great, um, but like they have two players I think are good when Drew Holiday is out. I am so out on Brooke Lopez meaning anything of any importance when things get down to it, but maybe that's me being a little bit harsh, but come on. Uh, the history suggests that he's going to be a pumpkin in the postseason. That's fine. Um, anyway, that feels like a good place to wrap it up. Joey Cash, where can people check out your stuff? Same as always, man. Find me on the Score, uh, the Score app. The Score is a YouTube page, um, which is ever growing and, and always has good stuff going up on it. Between myself and S, who a lot of people know as well on Raptors Twitter, and uh, obviously. Subscribe to and listen to Pound the Rock, uh, where we cover the entire NBA, myself and Joe Wolfon. I say it every time Joey W's on. Uh, it is my favorite basketball podcast for just listening to smart dudes talk about basketball. It's really, really freaking good. Everyone should go listen to Pound the Rock. Uh, 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 sorry, sorry to interrupt again. I, no. saying, I appreciate you, and I hope you heard. Uh, we shout, We gave you one of our uh, fan shoutouts a little while ago. Oh, um, no. So. I might have missed that one. Yeah, I'll yeah, go we back gave and you, check uh, it out. We, we do fan shout outs at the end of every episode, but once in a while we'll do like an industry shout out. And uh, we did hit you with one because Joe did mention that uh, I think the last time he was on your show, you, uh, you, you wax poetic about Pound the Rock. So we've given you a shout out as well. Well, I have to go back and uh, get the timestamp for that. That's uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I've missed it. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a clown myself having not <laughs> listened to the end of the podcast. So there we go. Uh, that will do it for this one. Uh, find me at Woodley Sean, of course. Subscribe to rate review. All that good stuff wherever you get your podcast. It's always appreciated. Again, I'll be back again on Thursday with our boy Andrew Damlin to talk about Raptors 905 and Malachi Flynn, who's cooking everybody. 
that'll be a lot of fun. We'll talk about the G League Ignite a little bit too, because that's a pretty fun thing cooking down there. Uh, in the, I guess they're calling it the Gubble, which is weird sounding, and I hate it. Uh, we're called the G League Bubble from now on. Anyway, uh, thank you so much for tuning in. We will talk to you again on Thursday with another episode of Locked On Raptors. Now, go check out our boy Mike DeStefano, another good paisan on uh, Locked On Leafs as he breaks down your very, very good Toronto Maple Leafs. Have a good one, everybody. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 